Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Marty Buckley. And before we get to Marty, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the website, TravelTalesPodcast.com. What's there? Well, there's photos of the guests. There's stories that some of the guests have written. There's stories that I've written. There's links to the guests' social media. And there's links to our social media. And by that, I mean Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. We have a Facebook page, Travel Tales Podcast. Follow and subscribe on all those. There's links to Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio where you can hear us. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on Spotify. We're pretty much everywhere you get podcasts. Please give us a like on all those formats because it boosts our presence and helps more people find the show, and that would be a cool thing for you to do. Never ask for money, just likes. Let's build our community, shall we? Speaking of community, if you think you'd be right for the show or maybe you know somebody who'd be right for the show, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. All right, Marty Buckley. Well, Marty was someone who was referred to me by former guest Rosie Tran, who's a comedian. Rosie wrote a great article about her native New Orleans that's on TravelTalesPodcast.com in the article section. But Rosie told me about her friend Marty, who lives in... Spain, and not just Madrid or Barcelona or one of the more obvious places. She lives in Basque country, up in the north. She lives in San Sebastian, and I've heard about San Sebastian for years because it's world-renowned as a food and wine haven. Some call it the best place for food in the world, which is a bold statement. But for sure, San Sebastian is known for its food, its wine, but it's up in the north. And I'll be honest, I've never been there. Wanted to, still haven't been. And in talking with Marty, she made me want to go even more. She's originally from Alabama, but spent some time growing up in New Orleans, which is where she met Rosie. And after college, went to Spain for a little bit, came back and vowed she was going to get back there somehow. And she made it happen. She's worked in some top restaurants, not only in America, but in Spain. And she wrote a cookbook called, appropriately enough, The Basque Country which you can find on Amazon and other places, and we'll have a link to it on our site. You can follow her on Instagram at Marty Buckley, and that's M-A-R-T-I-B-U-C-K-L-E-Y. She's got a blog called TravelCookEat.com, and it was a pleasure getting to know her. And I'm going to be honest, the conversation made me hungry. I think it'll make you hungry. Not only hungry for food, but hungry to travel to San Sebastian and the Basque Country. Please enjoy my chat with Marty Buckley. Marty Buckley in okay. San Sebastian. Are you right in the city or are you somewhere around it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're right. Our apartment's right in the center of the city, right on the river across from the Maria Cristina Hotel. Well, just talking to you for like a minute, I realize you're not a native uh, Spaniard. So how did you end up <laughs> in Spain and where are you from originally? So I'm originally from Alabama and in the USA. And I came to Spain for the first time when I was doing a study abroad in my junior year of college. And I was had my heart set on Madrid or Barcelona, but I actually ended up in Pamplona, which is about an hour away from San Sebastian. And that was really lucky for me because I fell totally in love with the Basque culture, the Basque people. And it sort of planted that seed in the back of my head that kind of made me obsessed with the area. So what were you studying in college? In which college? Was it University of Alabama? No, I was the black sheep of the family. I went to LSU. Oh, no. <laughs> Divided house. Yeah, so don't go there for the football games. They'll hate you. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, and I was studying at the time. I was studying journalism. And um, that's when I went off to do my study abroad. So Now, I've never been to uh, the Basque country. I've been to Madrid and Barcelona more than once. And I've uh, been to Laon down to like Marbella and uh, down there in Sevilla. And I love Spain, 
But why and how is the Basque country different than the rest of Spain? Yeah, that is, um, you know, that is like a question that you can answer either very quickly or in like <laughs> over the course of like an entire year of college academic study. Let's, but, go, um, with the, let's go with the quick version. <laughs> well, the quick version is it helps to talk about how Spain really is like a rather young country. Um, it used to be all of these different countries or, you know, kingdoms that were then brought together under the same flag only like, you know, 500, 600 years ago. So that's country. <laughs> I like yeah. it to Americans. It's like only 500 years ago. That's it. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so it was used to be, you know, a kingdom up in the north. And it's really different in the fact that it's not just, you know, it wasn't just like politically different. It was also different because the Basques, um, they have different genetics. They have different blood type. They are kind of just like this this people who have been in this corner of Spain, which is a very rainy, a very mountainous corner. So it's like very actually different than the rest of Spain in that way as well. And they have their own language, which is one of the oldest languages in Europe. Um, Nobody knows exactly where it came from. Um, So they're definitely just like really, really different than the rest of Spain. And and Spain has several different kind of people groups like this, like Catalans and the the Catalans and Barcelona. Exactly. And even in the South um, and the different islands. But, you know, Basque Country is definitely one of the oldest and um, it's really special in that way. And, you know, I think the climate is a really marked difference. And yeah, the, the, there's a lot. There's a lot of differences. One of the reasons I didn't go up there, I had a chance, but I remember at the time it was lousy weather, but good weather <laughs> in the rest of Spain. So when you said about... Uh, weather differences it is right is it because of the altitude or is it it's on the sea correct yeah yeah i think it's more it's more because of the location on the sea um and yeah the mountain ranges like if you go to the basque rioja which is there's a tiny part of the rioja wine region that's basque and you can literally see just like the clouds coming over in the mornings coming over the mountain range and you know it's like literally driving across the border and the sun is out, you know, it's like, I don't know, it's just crossing into Basque country and all of a sudden the clouds have gathered and um, it's definitely got its own little microclimate and actually has about 220 rainy days a year. So beating any city in the United States. Yeah. It sounds like the difference between like the Pacific Northwest and like California, you know, you can just drive up a, a few hours and then all of a sudden you're in like rainy stuff. Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, exactly. so, so you're in the Portland the Seattle of uh, Spain. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because my friends in that area, they're always like, I would go visit them and it would be sunny. And they would be like, yeah, it's only sunny like when people come to visit here. And I feel the same way about San Sebastian. Like it's always raining. But then like people come here and they fall in love with it because they came on like a sunny day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for doing this also, because I know you said you have a cold or you're you're stuffed up. So if anybody hears you sniffling, that's what it is. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, not voice sounds fine to me, but you know, um, we just should warn people, you know, before they go on. So, what was it about Basque culture specifically that spoke to you, rather than you know when you came over? Like you could, you could have lived in Madrid, you could have lived in Barcelona. What was it? Well, I didn't. I mean, I didn't. To be honest, I didn't know what I was getting into. So I came over, and it even took me as a twenty-year-old college student like a little bit to kind of figure out what even was going on, you know, like at first, of course, I noticed the pinchos, which is the hallmark of one of the hallmarks of Basque cuisine, which are like tiny bites that sit on top of the bars and you go in and you grab them and you eat them. And that was just like, that like blew my mind. Right. But, but then I would also notice things like on Saturday morning, there would be maybe a protest in the street. And I was like, what is going on? And, you know, and you notice also the language, which in Pamplona um, is in Navarra. So there's like a different kind of um, the Basque culture is like slightly different there, but they still, you know, there's a lot of Basque around, a lot of people speaking Basque and it's a very strange language as well to see and to hear. And so as that first trip there, I kind of just got introduced to this. And I was like, what is happening? What are these protests about? Who are these people? What is their language? What are they, you know, what is this food that they're eating? And it was just so much new and so much different and just felt so special and so authentic that I became obsessed with it. (laughs) (laughs) So I know uh, up there, it's known for, especially San Sebastian, it's like the food capital of the world, right? I mean, it's like... (laughs) world-renowned for its food. 
So that, yes. that's reason enough usually to go up there. Um, yes. And yeah. you're in the food business, right? That's how I got your name through Rosie Tran, who we both know. I don't mm-hmm. know how you know her. Is it from college? Um, from elementary school. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. I thought she was from New Orleans. I, yeah, I lived in New Orleans. Okay. For that's what, I, okay. There you go. She was um, my best friend. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. She wrote a great article for us on uh, things to do in New Orleans. So, okay. So food is in your blood, basically, if you're from New Orleans, right? I mean, you're like food person. So, um, were you, are you a chef? Are you like a trained chef? Well, so actually this trip, when I was, you know, I was a journalism major, I went to Pamplona for my six month study abroad. And that was actually kind of this like moment that for me, that was really important because I'd always loved cooking, but I kind of loved cooking from what I saw in my house, which was like a sort of combination of like fifties housewife stuff. And like, you know, our time in new Orleans as well um, was when my dad started cooking more. And, um, but yeah, so I didn't know that much about what was possible and like being in Pamplona showed me, you know, what was possible, like this devotion to really good product simplicity, but at the same time, just like really delicious. Um, also I lived with two French girls and they were always cooking you know, everything all the time, like in from scratch, you know, which was also a revelation to me at that time. Um, So yeah, I mean, things were different. This was back in 2005, you know, and I'm from, you know, like a middle-class family in Alabama. So yeah, it was a revelation. And so I came back with that (laughs) obsession. Where's the deep fried Oreos? Where's that? (laughs) I mean, kind of exactly like that. (laughs) And so I, I came back and was like newly obsessed with food. And so like in the rest of my college time, you know, I was like making pasta from scratch in my dorm, in my like apartment dorm. And, uh, so that was kind of the beginning. And then um, through circumstances of life, I ended up being able to go do a stage, which is like a unpaid, you know, time in a kitchen. And I, it was really scary. I was the only girl, but I liked it and I stayed and I got a job. And so I ended up cooking two years professionally for one of the best chefs in the South in the United States, really. Oh, where was that? Um, Birmingham, Alabama, uh, Frank Stitt. He's like one of the godfathers of new Southern cuisine. And he won James Beard a couple of years ago as restaurant Highlands in Birmingham. So yeah, I had a great teacher. <laughs> so you worked uh, for a couple of years in this restaurant. When did the return to Spain happen? Well, yeah. So the whole time, like in my head, I was like, how do I get back there? How do I get back there? <clears throat> and I would always kind of, I was, I'm also a journalist. And so I was writing freelance as well. So I would usually go to a coffee shop before I would go into the kitchen to start working. <clears throat> and I ran into a friend from high school at a coffee, at the coffee shop one day. And she, I was like, hi, Lauren, how are you? I haven't seen you in a while. And she was like, oh, I'm horrible, which nobody ever says, you know, when you ask them yeah. how they are. <laughs> You're not supposed to be honest with that question. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so I was like, oh no, why? And she's like, well, I just got back from Spain yesterday. And I was like, tell me everything. How did you do that? And so it was basically like a kind of a program for teaching English. So I applied for the program, got back. And I knew at that point I wanted to be in San Sebastian because I was cooking and because I was obsessed with food. And so, yeah, it was just like something was like drawing me. I don't want to be, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I don't want to be dramatic, but I just always felt like I had to like come back to this area. So was your friend miserable because she came back or was she miserable from her trip? No, she was miserable because she had okay, to come Okay, good. Back. That's a good sign. Of course. <laughs> so how was your Spanish skills before you left and how are they? Well, you're obviously pretty fluent right now, right? And yeah. I'm assuming you didn't know any Basque. Yeah, that's a correct assumption. Um, (laughs) Well, my Spanish before I left, you know, it was like, well, before I went to study abroad, it was horrible, you know, like typical, like attempt, you know, to learn a language from a textbook. Where is the bathroom? I'll have two, two beers, please. Exactly. And with the extra added bonus of the fact that in the United States, we're taught Latin American Spanish, which is vastly different than, you know, Spain Spanish. So that was another hurdle. But um, by the time I came here to live, live, it was functional. But yeah, I mean, leaps and bounds the first few years that you live here and lots of embarrassing and painful experiences as well. But as far as Basque, yeah, it's still really hard. I've taken a year of Basque here and I, you know, it's, it's a very different language. It's agglutinating, which means like all of kind of the modifiers get tacked onto the end of the word. And so it's not intuitive. It's not like French or Spanish. If you know French, you don't know Basque. If you know Spanish, you don't know Basque. So it's really mm. difficult. Oh, man. 
Yeah, that's what I said. Every time I go to Spain and I would, I would speak a little Spanish, they always say, oh, you sound like a Mexican. I was like, well, exactly. yeah, I mean, that's the Spanish I heard my whole life. I mean, I'm totally. not going to sound like I'm from Barcelona. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, so you got back uh, what year? What, what year did you get back to Spain? Um, 2010. I've been here for 11 years now. 2010. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So you, uh, did you go there with your, like your chef credentials and you think you were like, Oh, I'm going to, going to tell them I'm a, I'm a big chef from America here to work. Or did they just look at you like, no, did you have to almost start over again in the kitchen, like washing dishes? Well, okay. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I was not, uh, go peel the potatoes. You were that, that? yeah. Okay. (laughs) Right. Well, so I actually also was working a little bit on the side in marketing. And as that was like a very portable job, that's kind of the job that I took with me, um, to Spain. And so I was doing like the little English teaching that I had to do to get my visa because it's not easy for us Americans to get a visa. And I was, um, you know, doing at the same time, some freelance work in marketing, but within a short while of getting here, like six months or so, I was able to, oh, I made some great friends and they had this project where we would bring young American chefs, um, you know, right out of culinary school to do like a practice stage or an internship in a kitchen here. And so I started running that project for them. And that sort of got me back towards where I wanted to be, which was the world of, you know, the kitchen. But in, in the end, I've never actually gone back to professional restaurant kitchen. I did work a year and a half or two in a bakery. So I have done a little bit of that work here and that was really fun. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I feel so rusty. Like in the restaurant kitchen, it would take me a while to get back on track. <laughs> <laughs> but you never stopped writing, right? And so you, you start a blog and then do you have a book? out that yeah. we're getting our plugs in now. So uh, yes, okay. go ahead and promote. <laughs> yeah. So I have a book, it's called Basque Country. It came out um, a few years ago and it won best international cookbook at the IACP awards, which are the really big industry awards. And um, apart from that, it's like, it took me three years to write it. It's a total labor of love. I wrote basically the book that when I was obsessed with Basque Country in Spain, I couldn't find anywhere. And it's a book that tells you all of the traditional recipes in Basque Country, how to really make them like very detailed steps. And also a lot, a lot, a lot about the culture and about the traditions around the table and about how people eat here. Cause there's so many different ways to eat in Basque Country, which is another really cool thing. So it's, um, it's almost like you can buy it to cook or you can buy it to read, or you can buy it for both. But, um, I'm working on my second cookbook now, which I'm almost done with. Uh, it's going to be solely about pinchos, which is a whole other world upon itself. And there's so much to talk about. So I'm almost done with that book as well. So uh, yeah. what's the, what's the title of the fir- of your first one? Basque Country. Basque Country. Okay, yeah. is it, people can get it on Amazon and things? Yeah, yeah, it's everywhere. Booksellers, Amazon, everywhere. You okay, can great. Yeah. So my worry, when because I like to cook too, but when I hear something like, oh, cook like a Basque or some, you know, and then I think, well, I'm probably not going to get the ingredients you can get there here. So yeah. is it possible to do that or am I out yeah. of luck? Well, you are... It, more or less in luck because okay. much to my chagrin, one of um, I had a really great public. Well, that's that's the good part. I had a really great publisher, artisan, and one of the things that they work really hard is to or you know orient the recipes for the home cook. And my editor was very insistent about me, like always, kind of talking about substitutions or talking about sourcing, and like you know I couldn't just take the easy way out and be like, go find some pig's blood. <laughs> yeah, right. There's a joke I've been doing recently because I got hooked on like the British baking show during uh-huh. lockdown. Yeah. And whenever I cook alongside something, it always comes to either like one ingredient or one piece of equipment that no one owns. You know, it's like, take out your Jamaican marigold pepper. I'm like, my what? <laughs> or it's like, take out your three-armed Russian egg separator. My what? I don't, I have a spoon. Can I use that? Totally. No, yeah, that, that's like, that was probably one of the worst parts really about the book from my point of view, because like I turned in my manuscript and my editor comes back and it's all marked up and it's like, source this, where do you get this? What can a home cook do for this? You know, so I, I'm really thankful she did that because I think the book ended up being a lot better for it. So yes, you should be able to cook from it. There are definitely a couple dishes that would be hard to replicate just because sometimes the simplest, sometimes some of the dishes are very simple. And if you don't have just like that, 
perfect fish or that prime product, then maybe it won't be as delicious as Best Country. But part of this book, part of the importance for me in this book was making like the tome, the encyclopedia, the definitive list of traditional Basque recipes. And so there were some that just had to go in there. So so I know Spain, you know, whenever I'm there, I get my year long supply of ham in one week. So <laughs> is the book and the cooking really in Basque Country that is it super meat heavy or is it our veg are vegetarians in trouble? <laughs> well, the vegetarians, you know, in all of Spain are usually end up leaving, leaving their alienated flexitarian. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, you know, in Spain you order a, a, a salad and it comes with tuna on top of it. So, yeah. <laughs> but no, but I mean, there's Basque country is really cool because um, the cuisine is sort of differs whether you are on the coast of Basque country or whether you're in the mountainous areas. And so the mountainous areas have, you know, a lot of like more dairy products, a lot of, um, you know, cooking with a lot of sheep and sheep byproducts. Um, whereas the coast and a lot of stews, whereas the coast is more like about fresh fish, grilling, you know, light saucing. Um, and so there's kind of these really distinct culinary identities in Basque country and also Navarra, which is one of the four provinces of the traditional, you know, like, um, which is a term used to get all seven Basque provinces in France and Spain together. Um, Navarra is this place that has the most amazing vegetables. I mean, they have the beautiful piquillo peppers, which you might've tried. They have the white asparagus, their famous um, for their menestra, which is a vegetable dish served mostly in springtime that unites like fresh peas, fresh favas, asparagus, and all in this like delicious kind of soupy, brothy mixture. Um, so, so you know, there's there's stuff out there for vegetarians for sure. Okay. So from what I know, and this is off the top of my head, the big cities there would be Bilbao, San Sebastian. What are the other ones? What am I missing? Well, Pamplona, if you consider oh, that. Oh, Pamplona, yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah. yeah. Sure. And then, and then you, have, you have also the, on the Spanish side, you have Alava, Arava, which doesn't really have like a well-known big city, but it's where the corner of the Rioja region is. And then you have three provinces in France. And you might know Biarritz. That's pretty well Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so that's a, one of the capitals of one of the Basque provinces there, but the other ones are quite small. <laughs> okay. Have, yeah. So what time of year do we go to not get rained on and at least have some good weather and hopefully not too touristy? Is there a sweet well, spot there? Is there one yeah, week that I can get all that? There definitely is. I don't even want to tell you because I don't want everybody to come. Oh, in like uh, don't worry. We're not going to ruin it. <laughs> okay. No, but September September is like the most reliably nice weather, sunny, fun year or month of the year. So, Which is true in a lot of the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can I say mean, that about Chicago, where I'm from. It's like I yeah, always tell people, September's yeah. the month if you can do September it. September is the month. I mean, yeah. you can, like June, July, August, those are great, but without fail, it rains for at least one of those months, and you never know which one it's going to be. So, wow, really? Yeah. So, when do other Spaniards visit? I mean, is is it big with like I got to assume San Sebastian is like people coming from Madrid all the time and visiting well that's i mean that's actually a more nuanced question than it might seem from from the exterior but they have been coming back in droves since about 2010 2011 2012 because the whole basque political uh, situation with you know separatists wanting basque country to be its own country and choosing to express that with violence and you know uh, bombings and stuff like that really scared off a lot of Spain and really gave, you know, the South and Madrid, like this sort of idea about the North. And so they really kind of, uh, for the most part, maybe didn't do that much tourism up here until rather recently when, you know, things calmed down, there was a ceasefire not too, not too long ago. And so, yeah, now it's, um, it's kind of changing its image, you know, with the rest of Spain. Have you run with the bulls? No, well, I I would never do that. I'm very risk averse. <laughs> <laughs> However, I have gone twice to the running of the bulls. And one time I've done both things. So you can either go like at night and stay up the whole night and catch the tail end of the running, like as you're kind of just like really on the last bit of your partying. Right. 
Or you can wake up really early and go catch the running and then kind of enjoy the day, Go maybe go to the bullfight, enjoy the day. And I have to say that I much preferred the latter. Uh, you know, I had a great time. Like we would, we got there around 5 a.m. in the morning. We saw the bulls run down the street at a safe distance. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. And then we went to the, the bullfight, you know, which was for me like really interesting. I'm sort of on the fence with, you know, the animal cruelty thing versus like culture and tradition. It's a really... Um, sensitive topic here in Spain as well. So, but it was definitely interesting. I know I've toured some bull rings in, um, in Spain and I always I like, again, like the uh, traveler in me and the people and the part that's interested in culture really wants to see it and learn about it. And it's interesting, but the, uh, I, I'm afraid of like looking at it and just kind of creeps yeah. me out. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's poignant. Like when you see it happen and, you wonder, you know, is this worth it? Should we be doing this? I did have an interesting trip down to the south of Spain, right outside of Ronda in Malaga. And I went to this place where they raise the bulls and they also like teach, you know, bullfighting. And it was really interesting to see that, you know, like to see how, you know, how the bulls are raised, you know, they're bred for this and, you know, they're, you know, how they're sold. And it's, it's it really like provided a lot of context for me. It did really help me, to, you know, on the ethical yeah. like to watch it. Yeah, thing. but but you know, it was really interesting to see like the background of that as well. I toured the ring in uh, Malaga. Ah, uh, yeah, really. I cool. like the artwork of the posters and stuff like that. That looks really cool. Yeah, it's, it's like, amazing. Yeah, yeah. If they could use a robot bull with no blood, <laughs> that would be kind of cool. Then I'd go watch that. Yeah. <laughs> So when you moved there and did you decide, okay, I'm going to do this for like a year or two and, you know, just get the experience and then I'll go back to the U.S. Or did you say, no, I'm all in, I'm moving here. I mean, this is, this is home now. <laughs> well, the idea was just to come for a year. Yeah. The idea was a year. Um, I came with my two and a half year old and my then husband Oh, yeah. So it was like, you know, to get everybody over there to, you know, it's like, yeah, we're just going to go try it out. And then we had a great year. And so we were like, let's do this again. And so we renewed and stayed. So he was was American. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. We were all American. And so, yeah, it was a, we just kind of, kind of kept being like another year, another year, another year. And then I transitioned to like a more stable, steady job here. And that's kind of been the story for 11 years. (laughs) Okay. And did he have a problem getting a visa or, I mean, well, we all got it through the the visa that I got as they were like my family and my dependents. We we did it through the person who has the legitimate reason to be there. Got it. Okay. And is he still there? I mean, that's not, not as my business, but no, it's okay. I don't mind talking about it. We ended up separating, but um, so unfortunately he has, moved to a different part of Spain. He's actually in the Canary Islands, but my daughter is here with me and she's uh, really funny because she moved here when she was two and a half and now she's like a full-blown Basque. (laughs) Does she speak it better than you? Oh my God. She speaks fluent Basque. She's incredible in it. She goes to school in all Basque. And so she speaks uh, Spanish, French, and well, Spanish and Basque and English very fluently. And then she's pretty good at French. Oh, that's the time to teach them, right? When they're really young, they'll just absorb it all. Yeah, I mean, she did. She just grew up trilingual. Well, I'm interested about like school in Spain, like elementary school, compared to how we went. I mean, when you look at it, her, the education she's getting and the education you got, what do you like and what do you don't like as a mom? I mean, I think um, I think it's, uh, you know, she's growing up in like a more multicultural setting. And not just because she's, you know, foreign in Spain. There's like a lot of kids from a lot of different European countries and Latin America So that's really interesting. Um, Here, I do miss, like, it's the American dream, like, pervades, you know, every every part of our educational system. And so, like, kids are taught that, you know, they can do anything. If you work really hard, you can do anything. Um, Pursue your interests. Try this. Try that. Let's do something creative. And here, things are a lot more rote. It's a lot more, you know, straightforward studying straightforward teaching. So that's kind of a bummer for me. And also like, I miss her. I I miss for her, like kind of extracurriculars are not a thing here. Everybody does like private classes or private club sports. Um, So I kind of am thinking about maybe sending her to the States for a year of high school. Oh, wow. Ah, High school. I don't know. Love high school. Uh, (laughs) Did you? I hate it. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I guess there's two kinds of people in the world. Uh, yeah. 
I mean, yeah. <laughs> college is a different. College is different. But um, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I mean, do you find in terms of the culture there? I don't know. I mean, the big complaint that parents have here is that the kids are obsessed with like material stuff and and all this, you know, getting the new thing. You always got to have the new phone, the new clothes, the new sneakers and stuff. Is it as pervasive there? I mean, do kids? No, it's not. I mean, like there are a couple of things that you don't even realize like weigh on you or change your life when you're living in a place your whole life. And when I moved from America to Spain, a couple of things just like went away. And those things were like, having a dryer. <laughs> oh, yeah, that did go away. Like, you know what? Yeah, it's my, funny how you got to let that go, right? My clothes last longer now. Yeah. <laughs> Um, no, but the things that just went away, like for me and that just like I would have a really hard time going back to um, was just like universal health care is as good as it sounds like it literally like changes your life and it literally makes you like, you know, a lot more free and takes this weight off your shoulders that maybe you didn't even know was there. Like maybe you're paying your health insurance, but there's it, still always this feeling, you know, it's fear. It's living yeah. in fear of getting sick or getting an accident. I mean, just like and then you go places you go, oh, we don't have to live this way we chose to (laughs) we we choose to and then they tell us it's oh it's the best no not really no and it's not like black or white either you know here i know a couple i have a couple friends who have also private insurance and they pay about you know forty dollars a month and they can go to their private clinic yeah you know and so it's like you can have it both ways i tell people it's like it's like the public schools here you know it's like everybody can go to school there's a public school for everyone and it's paid for but if you want to go to a private, you just paid a little extra. But the yeah. point is, there's it's it's not about having no school. Exactly. We don't leave people without school, and that's exactly. the way it is. I mean, you you have a base like basic healthcare, and if you yeah. want to pay a little extra, get a you know a private clinic or like a private hospital, you can do it. You can get yeah. extra insurance on top of it. It's not like it's it's not yeah. that hard to figure out. <laughs> it's, no, 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 and it's really you know, and like here, yeah, your care is like a lot more in your hands. Like you have to be a little bit your own doctor. Like you have to, like you have to say, you know what, I really need another appointment, and you have to maybe you have to call like twice, you know. But like if you if you complain enough and if you make enough noise, you get like ushered to the front of the line, you know. Like it's they try to kind of keep people out of the doctor's office, but if you need it, then you get in. So that's one really one thing that really was different for me. Another thing that just simply disappeared was, you know, like the fear of gun violence. I mean, that has changed my life. You know, like we all feel safe. We feel safe all the time. I hear a noise at night. I'm not scared. I'm not scared to send my child to school that has no price. Like it's priceless. We're back to fear. It's about living in fear or living in not, you know? And yeah. And that's the funny thing about waiting for a doctor. As someone who just like I had emergency eye surgery last (laughs) month and I had to go to the ER, I still had to wait eight hours. They had me outside. They couldn't give me a... uh, And even when I got there, they just made up some appointment. They'd get me out of there oh, for no. the next day, which didn't work out. And they sent me to a place they said would take my insurance and wouldn't. Oh, so nice. I'm like, and I'm oh, still yeah. out thousands and I have insurance. So oh, just, nice. yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm ready to try something else. I'm ready. Yeah. Well, yeah, and going back to the originally, like the reason I even started talking about all those hot button issues was the like the whole other thing that I saw like really different here is what you were referring to, like the whole having to have the newest thing, you know, like there's, there's definitely, this is definitely also like a Western society and like a capital, you know, Zara yeah. was here, like fast fashion is based in Spain, but at the same time, like people are not so defined by what they have. Like people do not express their personality, like by, you know, the color notebook they have or like the cover of their phone, you know, like that's not a thing here. And so, and the kids here also seem to get phones at a later age, you know, like 12, 13. Um, And so, yeah, I really enjoy kind of being out of that. What, when you get out of it, you look back and you realize it's kind of like a vicious cycle or like a rat race. And it's not until you get out of it that you're like, wow, (laughs) what was I doing? I mean, I would say like uh, travel has taught me uh, minimalism. Yeah. And you realize what you really need to get by and it's not all this new stuff all the time. <laughs> it's like when yeah. you live you live in a smaller place, if you live in this and it's like, no, oh. you live out of a backpack long enough, you're going, I don't really need much yeah, to be happy. Yeah, yeah. 
And it's like, I think about too, like, I'm like, when I do think about this stuff, I'm like, what do they substitute it with? You know? And, it, and I think they really substitute it with like social interaction. Like, you know, it's like, where, you know, where are you going to have a beer after work today? Or, you know, walking down the street together, taking a walk, you know, like people are, we're all living on top of each other. Right. So that's very different as well. But like, you're always constantly interacting with, you know, acquaintances, with friends, families are still very tight knit here. So it's really, I mean, it's really great. <laughs> so speaking of interaction, you've been there through the pandemic. How did uh, the lockdown go down there? And what's the situation now? Yeah, well, we, you know, we got locked down March 13th. And we basically couldn't leave our apartments for like two months, I think. Um, I could leave to go grocery shopping. And people who had dogs could walk the dogs. And you could go to like a doctor's appointment or whatever if you had one. But like my 12-year-old then, she had no excuse to leave the house. So she literally like didn't leave the house for two months. Yeah. And we're talking about really small apartments. So it was it was, it was was tough, but um, we settled into like a rhythm, I guess. And now we just got all the restrictions lifted just a couple weeks ago. So we are like, we're all still wearing masks indoors, but otherwise most of the restrictions are gone, but we've been, we've had it all. We've been under curfew. We've had to wear masks outside. We've, um, you know, been confined. We've gone through it all. <laughs> right. I mean, is your daughter back in school full time? Yeah, they, they actually went back to school pretty quickly, uh, but, you know, very careful with masks and lots of social distancing and, you know, not a lot of protest around that. Like everybody was pretty happy to protect each other because I think for a couple of reasons, like Spain was on like the first frontier of receiving the coronavirus, you know, it was like Italy, then it was Spain. And yeah. so we were really like, oh my God, what is this? And on the other hand, it's got, uh, you know, a lot of aging population and you hang out with your aging population. So people were really respectful of that, of the elderly people that they could potentially, you know, you know, give, give the virus to and kill. And so that I think made Spain like, plus with the great social health system, I think really made it like very respectful of, you know, taking care of each other. Well, this is the worry I have with uh, some countries that I love there and all of the Southern Europe uh, about one day wanting to live there. From what I've heard of a lot of people who've gone, all these places are great places to retire because <laughs> the lifestyle, the food and the wine and the, you know, the weather and everything yeah. else. Working there is hard, you know, not just getting work visas, but the economies are not doing great and haven't been for a while. And they have a lot of, you know, brain drain of their young people leaving. You know, they all get to a certain age and then they go, well, we got to move to like Germany or London yeah. or the U.S. or somewhere because their economy is just not moving. Is it still that kind of way, just kind of stagnant? Or? Well, yeah, I mean, that's definitely an issue here. Um, specifically, like Basque Country and Catalonia are some of the mo most prosperous, wealthy parts of Spain. So I do feel like they have, there's more opportunities here. The wage, wages are higher here. But yeah, it's definitely an issue. But yeah, I don't know. It's, at the same time, it does feel like there are opportunities here. But yeah, I mean, we're speaking on a day where, you know, Russia just invaded Ukraine. Yeah, so, well, I was going to get to that in a little bit, but... Uh, <laughs> I'm a little worried about the future, to be honest. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this. so we're talking right now, it's February 24th, and, um, you know, this has kind of shook up the world. And uh, what is the vibe in, in Spain and in a lot of Europe? They got to be a little worried and what is their position looking at America going, hey, are you going to help or what? I mean, <laughs> it's it's a weird time. Yeah. Um, I think everybody today has just been very shocked. And I think everybody, the uh, European Union has spent like the last couple of weeks crafting like really tough sanctions that they brought into effect. And I think everybody is very happy that they've done that. And everybody's sitting behind them. And I think everybody's like kind of poised and ready to see. I haven't felt a lot of um, expectation on America to come forward. I feel like we maybe hold ourselves or some of us hold ourselves to that role more than Europe does or more than, you know, Spanish people do. Um, but yeah, I think everybody's feeling a little nervous. There's a little, there's a lot of people who think it's not going to go any further than Ukraine, but a lot of people who are you know, remembering, you know, the last, because Spain was a dictatorship until 1979. Yeah. So it's fairly recent here. I know history has a way of, of just moving and repeating and that kind of thing. And that's, that's why where when people don't uh, study it or um, recognize it, <laughs> you know, it just 
goes over and over again. And we've seen this before. Do you think it's going to affect your situation and I don't know, your visa and your, I mean, tourism and things like that? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I was during the morning hours, I was like pretty convinced that everything was just going to implode. (laughs) But then I spoke with, you know, a few of my friends who have experience in different interesting areas um, pertaining to, you know, global relations and stuff. And they sort of talked me off the ledge. And I think, you know, maybe things will be okay. And maybe it will not escalate too far. Um, You know, some people are saying like World War Three, but I think that maybe, you know, things will be okay. But yeah, I mean, for me, it would be privileged. I guess it would probably be more of a personal decision at first than anything, you know, like if the danger seems to be encroaching upon, you know, France and Spain, yeah, I'd be tempted to pick up my, pack up my bags and go home, you know, cause like, yeah, yeah I'm not here for that, but I don't know. I think um, I'm hoping that things don't get to that point. It just feels very, very scary. Yeah. Where does the Basque region usually get most of its tourists? Is it mostly other Spanish people, or do you get a lot mostly like Brits, uh, Germans? Yeah, there's a ton of a ton of French people. Um, okay, and um, that's always been the case because it's about ten minutes away. It's really close. Yeah, yeah, and then there's a ton of Americans as of you know the last five to ten years. Uh, there are English people, but they tend to flock more to the south of Spain towards the sun. <laughs> sun yeah, it's like we yeah. don't need more rain. We don't need more rain in our lives. We get like quite a few, quite a block of Japanese actually. Oh. Um, which is really interesting. I think like food, food and wine, right? I mean, that's mostly, yeah. yeah. You're starting to get the big bus loads of Chinese yet. No, we, we don't get those. (laughs) That's the thing about St. Sebastian. That's really great is it's not massified tourism yet. Like, because the transportation has been so bad, because the sociopolitical situation was rough until the last couple of decades, um, it's kind of avoided that because the weather's not that nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's sort of been like uh, the, the worst things about it have been like our saving grace. So Right. So if people are going to visit, do you recommend that they fly directly into, say, Bilbao? Or, I mean, we can get deals to Madrid and Barcelona, <clears throat> but it's usually a second flight to get up there. Um, do you suggest like if you were going to drive or take a train from Barcelona, how far is it? Um, Barcelona and Madrid are both like between four and five hours. But to be honest, oftentimes I fly a lot back and forth and oftentimes my flight from Bilbao is the same price or less than my flight would be from Madrid or Barcelona. And, you know, I know a lot of people do like, you know, a few different cities, um, where they do their trips here. And so it can make sense to fly into a bigger city and do what you just said. But I would like to challenge everybody to get off the beaten track in Spain, to check out the Northern coast, the Basque country, to check out the Southern cities. And just like, honestly, like forget about Madrid and Barcelona because Barcelona <laughs> no offense to, you know, like 7 million people. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, they're big but, cities and Barcelona, especially is so, so touristy, too touristy, too touristy. You can't even like feel the essence of the place anymore. Madrid is still like really super Spanish, but like considering the riches that Spain has, like I would never go to those cities, like get to Sevilla. Sevilla is like New Orleans. Sevilla, I loved. Spain. It's amazing, you know, yeah. and and get to the Basque country and you, the, the coast on the North of Spain is just like mind blowing. So I really recommend if you're brave enough to just be like, I am not going to check Madrid and Barcelona off my list. Then I think you will have an amazing time. When was the last time you were back in the States? Well, um, with COVID, we were not there for like three years, but we went last summer and for Christmas. So we okay. got to go this year, which is to Alabama. Yeah, Alabama. What's the first thing you eat when you go back? Oh my God, pickles. <laughs> pickles. Dill pickles. Dill pickles. Oh, wow. Okay. Because <laughs> here it's all cornichons, like little baby French pickles, and they don't even taste good, and I hate them. <laughs> but pickles was not that, what I was expecting. I was not what I was expecting. But you know, we also do like, depending on the season, like there's a lot of summer food in Alabama that I love, like tomatoes, they're so good. And like corn and okra, like I love being there for summer. And, you know, Chick-fil-A, I'm not going to lie, <laughs> you know, right up there. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> okay. Most people say Mexican food. 
Oh yeah, no, definitely that. that is <laughs> yeah, well. right. Yes, Tex-Mex Mexican food for sure. Totally, yeah. Yeah, that's usually like the number one answer. Oddly enough, it's just like yeah, oh, Mexican. Yeah, that's right. right up there. Trust me, I'm like I'm there for like queso and margaritas. <laughs> no, no New Orleans stuff you miss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I actually um, you make it probably lot, there. I took a lot of that here. You know, it's like because um, I've found like French sausages that are very similar to like andouille and other ingredients. And so I do still cook like jambalaya and gumbo at home. And um, yeah, so it's not as hard to get my fix. Well, living in Europe this long, where do you go on holiday? Where do you, where have been your great trips? Oh my God, it's so great. Like being, traveling around Europe and I just keep, you know, exploring a lot of Spain and I've fallen in love with the, the Islas Baleares. So like um, Ibiza, but I've only been- and off-season, Mallorca, I really love an off-season. And Menorca, the smaller island, I love with all my heart. It's so beautiful. It's still pretty rustic. This The capital city, Maon, is like small but artsy. So I'm really loving like those Mediterranean islands. But I also love to go into France and explore like the south of, of France by car. Um, I mean, those have been just amazing, amazing trips for me. So, Do you have a car or do you need one at all? Well, I did. We didn't have a car for like the first five or so years that we lived here, and we got along, you know, just fine. But once you get a car, it's nice to have one just to be able to go out on the weekends and, like, you know, drive out to restaurants that are off the beaten path. You know, it's you don't have to have one, and you can function <laughs> without one, but it makes life a little bit easier. Yeah. Have you? How have the other EU countries opened up, or have they opened up recently that you can get around? And could you even get around the last couple of years? other yeah, countries yeah yeah there there's there were only like a couple spaces of a couple months where we really literally could not go you know in fact in 2020 i didn't get a, i did not get around to it but like my goal was to go to venice like to go to like the most crowded place yeah. on earth like you who year. wants to avoid tourists yeah like to go but to go that year when nobody was traveling you know that was like what i wanted to do but um but yeah, that everybody's uh, traveling like in waves a little bit because it, it's like the same in the States, you know, like uh, there'll be a wave in summer, there'll be a wave at Christmas. And so you just kind of have to work around those uh, where the restrictions tighten a little bit. Right. So are you a citizen now or do you have like a dual citizenship? Um, well, I'm still a permanent resident, um, but I do have like an, on my to-do list to go check and see if I can apply for my citizenship because it should be about now that I can. So I have to go do that. Okay. Yeah. I think, I think it's like seven to 10 years where you can do it. So, and, and like the first few years I was here because I was on a special type of visa counted as half of a year. So it's like kind of this like weird bureaucracy thing, but I think I could actually apply and I might actually think about getting a Spanish passport. But isn't it a thing it's like <laughs> America is the only country that no matter where you live, you still have to pay American taxes. Oh yeah. <laughs> but We're I'm like okay. the only ones that make our people do that. But it's not, it's not like that. Like you can, you can, I think you can write off. I have an accountant that does all this. Of course, okay. of complication. <laughs> right. But no, it works out okay for me because I have two, two daughters and, you know, so I, I always end up on the, yeah. the winning, the good end. So. <laughs> well, you have yeah. two daughters? Yeah. I have the older one and then I have a two and a half year old now. Two and a half. Oh, yeah. wow. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of, a lot of energy in the house. Yeah. Yeah, but it's great. I, I actually like without planning it at all. My older daughter is a really good babysitter and helps me a lot. So it's actually pretty good. Yeah. Wow. How was the older one? She's 14 now. Oh, a teenager in the house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like you waited till she was old enough to babysit. <laughs> Not on purpose, it's like time yeah. for another one. Time for another one. Really well. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. That's, that's a lot. Both girls. Yeah. Both girls and our cat is a girl too. So we're a house of girls. <laughs> A lot of estrogen in that house. Yeah. <laughs> Are they into uh, cooking too? Yeah, well, my, I don't know. I think my da- my older daughter isn't so much into cooking, but I think like she probably has like a really great palate at this point because <laughs> she's been eating so well for like 12 years and she travels with me almost everywhere I go. And just like, yeah, I think she knows like a lot compared to like a, another child her age, which is really cool. So what's the difference between pinchos and tapas? 
Oh my God. Okay. So in my new book, I think that's going to be probably like four or five pages, but yeah. um, to, to answer it like briefly, <clears throat> pinchos are more of like a kind of a small version of like a dish or like more elaborate, whereas tapas can just be kind of like a plate with several of the same thing, like, you know, like a plate of like fried little fish or a plate of a couple of meatballs, whereas a pincho can be, you know, it can be like on a toothpick, various ingredients, or, but it can also be like a small version of like a larger dish, like a braised uh, beef cheek on a bed of potatoes, you know? So it's, um that's one of the differences. Tapas, you know, sometimes they're free. Pinchos are never free. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, that's what I would say would be the the main differences and how I think it's best explained. Yeah. So what's your specialty? If you could make one, if you were going to be known for one, do you have like a signature pincho? Huh? Well, okay. I, I haven't done my pincho uh, book tour yet, but when I did my Basque country book tour, um, sometimes I would do, you know, like cooking classes or demonstrations and one pincho that I love to do and that people always loved. And that I actually was super fan of because I think it's better when you make it in America than when you make it in Spain. <laughs> well, when, it doesn't involve Velveeta or something. Does well, it? no, but it does involve <laughs> bacon and shrimp. And so, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's called gama brocheta and it's like a, like a shrimp alternated with bacon on a kebab and you grill it and then you cover it with this like pepper onion vinaigrette. And it's so delicious. And like it's the smoky flavor of the bacon plus the shrimp and the acidity of the vinaigrette um, on top of a piece of bread. And I just love it. And I loved doing it on my book tour. Cause I think that like with bacon from America, which is the best and shrimp, you know, from Alabama or from the Gulf or whatever. Um, I just thought it turned out like even better in America. So, so that sounds very, uh, very new Orleans. Got a little, yeah. little bit of new Orleans in there. It does. Yeah. The shrimp and the bacon together. Sure. Yeah, and like, uh, yeah, I got vinaigrette with peppers and onions. Yeah. Well, you're in like ham country. Is it hard to get good bacon there, or is it just like our bacon is just super fatty? Is that the deal? What's the difference? Well, it's funny because I was just interviewed not too long ago for an article. I think it was in the Daily Beast um, about why Spain's bacon is so bad because it is a ham country. Yeah. But basically, the conclusion of the article was that a, you know, they've been always focused on hamoniveri go on curing like their way of curing ham like they had the perfect climate to just air dry it basically you yeah, know, hang it up it. yeah and so they never had that need that we had you know in the Appalachians or wherever I don't know where bacon even was invented <laughs> but like to smoke it which is basically another form of conservation and so that they just have you know centuries and centuries of doing it this way and that's how they see ham and they just like don't do bacon I don't know you know, like the the tradition was never there. And, and that's one thing about Spain and, you know, France and Europe, like the tradition is very important still. And they continue to follow that. What I missed when I went to Spain, though, because is um, I like spicy food. So it's just and nothing there was spicy. I remember I, I ordered eggs for breakfast somewhere and I would just ask for like, um, like a hot sauce. And the guy would look at me like a because I love it on my eggs. And he looked like me, I was bizarre. He just, no and way. so they went in, in the cabinet and he found some old dusty, tiny that's bottle of Tabasco. Yeah, that's and the then he watched thing. me put it on there and he's like, what are you, what are you doing to the eggs? Yeah, no, that's another like, so interesting thing. Like here, if you put even kind of like a moderate amount of black pepper on something, people here will perceive it as spiciness. They'll be like, yeah. That's spicy. And yeah, it's just like they, especially in Basque country, like the most that they flavor their food with is like a little bit of garlic, you know, and parsley if they're feeling crazy. So everything is very much true to its flavor and they don't have a lot of spices in the north of Spain. Yeah. Not only did they tell me I, I sound like a Mexican, they told me I was eating like a Mexican. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Put, I do that. hot sauce on things. I order, I'll ask for Tabasco sometimes, like for my tortilla if I'm hungry. Oh, no. Do you keep like, um, <laughs> Like me, I have like three different ones in the fridge at all times. Yes, I eat hot sauce every day. <laughs> and they're probably thinking, ah, oh, tone it down. So spicy. Yeah. I do it in the privacy of my own home. Yeah. Okay. You want to be seen like me embarrassing yourself in public. If I plan a visit, I mean, can I do a lot in a week? Can I see most of the Basque country in like a week or two? 
Um, yeah, it kind of just depends on your priorities. Like if you have to feel like you have to do a lot of other things, then, you know, you can three days, you can do like a good time in San Sebastian, but you're going to regret it. I'm just telling you now you're going to regret it <laughs> for me. Like you would not hurt for things to do with a week in the Basque country at all. You know, What's Bilbao like as a city? Bilbao is cool. Bilbao is um, about three, two or three times the size of St. Sebastian. It's much more cosmopolitan. There's like more nightlife and um, more kind of art stuff going on. Uh, it has a lot of street art and a lot of cool architecture as a result of the Guggenheim Revolution. Yeah, Frank Gehry uh, Museum uh, there. Yeah, exactly. As soon as that came up, that became sort of like a selling point of Bilbao and a lot of other um, people and buildings followed suit. So that's, uh, but they still have really great food in Bilbao. They're still very Basque and um, it's still, it's totally worth a visit. What St. Sebastian has that it doesn't is like this feeling of like, kind of like a beachy town, a resort town, like laid back, slow vibes. You know, we have, um, we have the beach, three different beaches in the city, and then we have three different mountains in the city. So it's just like perfect, something for everyone. What are the prices as compared to like the rest of Europe? Is it uh, pricey? No, it is known for being cheap. Spain is known for being like the cheapest out like in Western Europe. So that said, though, San Sebastian is definitely like one of the most expensive cities in Spain, uh, right up there with Barcelona, Madrid, always when it comes to real estate and when it comes to cost of living, uh, it's expensive. But as an American, it's going to feel cheap. Sure. But hotels and things are, are pretty on par with. I think I think they're you know they even the luxury hotels in San Sebastian I do feel like come in a little cheaper than other places in Europe for sure. So like uh, Malaga or down south? No, no, the south of Spain is going to be cheaper for sure. Yeah, this, oh, okay. the, yeah, San Sebastian is going to always be more expensive. Uh, than anywhere else, <laughs> unfortunately. Right. And then the south of Spain, yeah, for me, for example, like the south of Spain feels cheaper for sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you seem pretty dug in. You're going to stay for a while. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, have, have you thought about maybe like in the future, like would you move more to the country? Would you like stay in the city or what? Do you, where yeah. do you see it all going? Yeah, no, I would, you know, I would love to do that. I would love to live like outside right now. I have, you know, with the girls in school and stuff, it's like just not time, but yeah, I would love to be on the country. I also do dream about like living somewhere more like with more sunshine. So like maybe more Mediterranean, but I don't know at the moment, at the moment I feel good here and I still feel like I've got like some work to do here. So I feel good, but yeah, I do feel kind of like drawn to other places for sure. Sunshine. Yeah, you want that second house in Menorca? Yes. <laughs> I do, what? I do want that. <laughs> so your other husband lives in the Canary Islands? My ex-husband, yeah. Yeah, and I've never been there either. So how is that compared to like Menorca and Mallorca? Well, so I've only been to one of them, Tenerife. I was supposed to be in Lanzarote actually right now, but I ended up canceling our trip. Uh, I was pondering it. But they are really different. I mean, Mallorca, Menorca, Ibiza feel super Mediterranean, whitewashed, you know, uh, warm, wa warm water, very pleasant. Yeah. Uh, the Canary yeah. Islands are more like, they feel more like a jungle. Um, some of them in some corners of those islands have like the craziest winds that you've ever experienced. <laughs> like can be like unpleasant to be, like one of them is literally called Fuerteventura, which is like strong winds. That's the name of the <laughs> island. So you can have an idea there. Um, but and they're like more like maybe you don't realize it the second you are there. But if somebody is like, you know, these are like were formed by volcanoes not that long ago, you'd be like, oh, yeah, because they have just this crazy, like tall, like, the, you know, cone you know, top mountain. Yeah. Like and like inclines and like, you know, and even in Lanzarote has like a very marsh Martian landscape because it's <laughs> got a lot of volcanic, uh, you know, activity not so long ago. So, yeah. It um it feels more like jungle, more volcano, maybe more Hawaii. Right, right. Okay, well now we can do a travel speed round here. <laughs> okay. What was your worst uh, flight or train experience? Oh my god, when I was traveling <laughs> to Rome or like back home from Rome, uh, Italy, from the countryside, and my ex husband got us on the train going in the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> <For sure. laughs> you end up at the English Channel. It's like, wait a minute, this oh, doesn't god. seem. 
right? Horrible, horrible. <laughs> How far in the wrong direction did you go? Uh, I think like 30 minutes, enough to like oh, miss okay. our flights. But, but enough to miss our flights because we were like very planned. Oh. Yeah, so. <laughs> okay. Any um, injuries in another country or food poisoning or anything? And you ever have to go to a hospital? Yes. Uh, one of the worst times of my life. Um, it was really, it was a perfect day. My mom and sister were visiting. So my older daughter, mom and sister, we were having a beautiful day in the French uh, seaside, like just, you know, 30, 40 minutes from here. And we went uh, for lunch, great lunch. Then we passed this like kitty retro kitty park. So we went to the retro kitty park. We were having a great time. I was having so much fun playing with my daughter and I went to jump on this like jumpy, bouncy house thing. Okay. And I saw this little kid jump from one side to the other. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. I want to do that. <laughs> and so I jumped and I didn't quite make it. And I did basically like the scorpion, you know, like the reverse, like bending in the wrong direction. Oh. Yeah. And I like really hurt like my back and my neck and had to go in an ambulance, like came into the kitty park and got me. <laughs> It took me to the hospital in like this tiny town. And uh, fortunately I was not you know, huge. It could have been so bad. Fortunately I recovered, you know, after a few weeks and uh, like six months of not running, but yeah, oh like it gosh. was pretty scary. So really weird injury there. And the good news is your bill came to $5. Well, yeah, it was like $200. <laughs> it was like, you know, it was crazy. I was like, thank you, God. <laughs> yeah. Um, any any run-ins with police or government officials? Have you ever had to bribe anybody somewhere? <laughs> I don't know if I would ever be capable of doing that. No, like the most I've ever done is like, I think one time we brought like some cookies to the like extranjero where we go to get our cards renewed and stuff. Um, but because those women, if you don't catch them on a good day, they are very angry, ang- angry people. <laughs> and they can, and they hold your fate in their, in their hands. So, well, what about uh, your bucket list? Where do you want to go? Oh, my bucket list. Like any country, um, anywhere. Right can. at the top. I mean, that's really hard, but right at the top is Istanbul. I've always wanted to go there. I've okay. had been, one of my favorite writers is from Istanbul and writes about it. And so I've always just been like dying to go to Turkey, explore all of that. On my like bucket list that's super attainable, Greece, because I've never been. And like, I just know I would love it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you like uh, Ibiza. No. <laughs> you'll like Mykonos oh my god oh yeah I don't know if I'll go to exactly to like Santorini or Mykonos but yeah you know, like <laughs> those islands are great though you'll yeah you'd love yeah. it no I really want to go and you know this is not timely at all but like I had always kind of been had this weird like attraction to like visiting Russia just because I see it as um such a kind of stuck in time like interesting kind of place and I've also read a lot of Russian contemporary and like older literature too. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. May have to wait a little longer. Yeah. I don't I think I'm going. Any yeah. chance, so. <laughs> I mean, I talked to a lot of expats and though, is there a moment where even though you've been there a long time and you speak the language that, that they still get the feeling sometimes that you're always an outsider. Do you kind of get that in some like in social situations, like no matter how hard you try to fit in, they always know that you're not from there. And um, sometimes treat you as such. Honestly, every day, because I'm a blonde like American girl and it doesn't matter like how good I might speak Spanish. It doesn't matter. And I think also like, I honestly think one of the things that has made Basque Country so special and has maintained, helped it maintain its culture for so long is how like kind of suspicious of outsiders the people are and how closed off both geographically and, you know, culturally. Culturally, And, you know, my friends, they're perfectly, you know, normal 21st century, you know, 30 somethings, but they still have like this little kind of characteristic or like attributes that just kind of, they're just a little bit more closed off than like your average person is and, and it's cultural. And that also like, while I have made amazing friends here and have like, you know, my group, I still am always going to be on some level a foreigner. Right, right. I mean, is there a lot of other expats where you're at? No, there's not. Um, I actually looked this up earlier today for some reason, but I think there's like 40, 30,000 Americans in Spain or 40,000. And then in in our little province of Basque Country, we, I think, are 500 Americans I saw the other day. But it it feels like even less. Like, I I know very few Americans living here. So. 
Well, any like other Europeans? I mean, like Germans living there, or or uh, anybody uh, from anywhere? Just a little, a little sprinkling of of everything. The more than that, there's a lot of Latinos, a lot of Peruvians, Argentinians, Chileans, um, a lot of Honduran people. So Honduras, they have like really, yeah, yeah. Depending on the uh, relationship their country had with Spain in the yeah. 1500s, they have like an easier time getting visas, and you know, it's obviously a nice place for them to be. And Argentina is actually like really closely linked to Basque country. Like everyone has like a, a Basque surname there mm-hmm. um, because there was a ton of migration, you know, 100 and 200 years ago to Argentina. And, and you haven't been to Buenos Aires? No, never. Oh, never. you'd love it. Really? Sure. Oh, well, it's a very to- European kind of city. The most European yeah. city in South America. So yeah, I would love to go. Yeah. And talk about meat. Yeah. <laughs> More steak than you'll ever see in your life. Oh my God. Yeah. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. See, there you go. Um, well, thank you for doing this. And thank you for doing this on a, uh, while you got a cold and a stuffed up <laughs> nose. And, but I know we tried to make it work a couple weeks ago, but it's you know, one reason or another. But it's amazing we can do this at all with technology. So that's, that's yeah. great. Well, thank and, you for having me. Sure. And once again, tell us the name of the, the book and where people can get it. Okay, my book is called Basque Country, um, and you can get it on Amazon or in your bookstore near you. And I also do have a blog where I write about different things, food and San Sebastian Basque Country, and it's at travelcookeat.com. And I'm on Instagram, Marty Buckley. So that's probably where I'm most active. So you can find me there. Okay, and we'll have links to all that on uh, on our site as well. Um, finally, what has living abroad and all this travel taught you about people, yourself, uh, and the world in general? What have you learned? Well, I've definitely learned um, on, like, about, on a personal level to kind of slow down and to enjoy the moment and to enjoy unexpected turns. Because I think before I was a lot more obsessed with like squeezing productivity out of everything I did and also like more obsessed with things going as I had planned them. Um, and I feel like travel definitely and also where I live have really taught me to kind of just like let go and enjoy because, you know, like, you know, the, the moment in and of itself has so much beauty to, to enjoy. And, um, and about people, you know, I think, um, well, I mean, it's totally changed my viewpoint, you know, being around so many people of different cultures. And I think that I guess you kind of start to empathize with people's situations and empathize with where they come from and definitely start to view other cultures as equally valuable as your own and as equally valid as your own, whether or not they participate in the world, you know, view that you do. And so I think that's been something um, that I wasn't taught growing up and that has been really great to learn. Oh, that's great. All good lessons. Yeah. For well, sure. I'm very jealous uh, that you're there <laughs> and then I hope to visit sometime because I really yeah, want to, you, really you have to let me know. I'll hook you up with some amazing lunches and dinners. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, we didn't even talk about wine, but okay. <laughs> is there a good, is it better for reds or whites in Basque region, you think? Both. Oh my God, you're going to think I'm crazy, but literally both, because as I've mentioned a couple times already, you have a little bit of the Rioja, which is best known for reds. Mm-hmm. But then right outside of St. Sebastian, about 20, 30 minutes away is Getaria. And this is an area where a white wine called Chacoli was invented. Um, it's made from the grape Onda Ravisuri, which is a, a green grape. Um, and it's lightly carbonic. It's got like a little fizz to it. It's the, if it comes from around this area, it tastes kind of salty because it's right by the sea. And it's just a delicious, amazing wine. Mm. Is that in the yeah. book too? Yes. Okay. The- <laughs> <laughs> I'll learn it there. Now I got to read this thing. All yeah. right. That's great. Well, thank you so much, and uh, hope to see you soon. Okay, thank you so much for having me. Marty Buckley, everyone. <laughs>